today, the world's first theography, a theological biography. Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola are here to talk about Jesus. Not a bad guy to know. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. And that is the name of this broadcast. If you like it, send some money. That's the truth. <laughs> hey, a couple, <laughs> couple of like our favorite Ruth people, too. Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola are here. Leonard is the East Stanley Jones Professor of Evangelism at Drew and a visiting professor at George Fox University. He's a weekly contributor to Sermons.com and the podcast Napkin Scribbles. He's written almost 50 books. What? Every, yes. No, every time he burps, they publish it. <laughs> and uh, Frank is a popular speaker and author of a bunch of books, too. He's been with us to talk about from eternity to here. Great book. The Jesus, yeah, it was. Jesus Manifesto, another one. And Leonard and Frank have teamed up to bring us Jesus, a theography. Hey, Lynn, so we don't have enough books on Jesus? Good morning, Steve. How are you? Doing good. You? Happy birthday to you. Hey, thank you. Sure, celebrated your birthday on your death day. What? That's not a thing you should say to an old person. <laughs> That's when you got your birthday party was led your birthday into eternity. Oh, there you go. That's, That's the big what, one. That's what I, I'm doing. I'm waiting until then to celebrate birthdays. Uh, you know, we used to literally uh, with our kids because we wanted to hammer in that they were covenant kids. We had a big celebration for their Christian birthdays mm. just as we did for their other birthdays. And so they got little... They got religious stuff, too. Enjoy. Okay, tell us about this book. (laughs) Since I have you on the microphone now, uh, where did you all start doing? You just look around. There weren't books that combined theology and biography, and you thought, you know, somebody needs to bring this stuff together? (laughs) Well, actually, um, Frank and I did a book together uh, called Jesus Manifesto. Yeah. That was just kind of a manifesto to to put Christ back at the at the heart of Christianity. And we had such a good time with that. The response was so uh, phenomenal that we got talking further about um, the need to to tell the the Bible as one story. And and could we do that and bring together the best of kind of uh, the historical stuff that has been done in the past fifty years or more about Jesus and and his times, and to integrate that into um, a story format, and uh, and uh, to not be ashamed or shy about the fact that we are t- telling the story of uh, the very Son of God, and that's why that we didn't. Some people think that I or Frank invented that word theography, but it's it's actually an ancient word. Um, it means the biography of a God. So we're stating up front that we believe that Jesus is. The Son of God, uh, divine, and uh, and so it's um, we're just putting all our cards on the table right from the very start with that word, that word theography, a theological biography, but a theological biography of somebody we believe uh, was was uh, Emmanuel, God with us. Hey, uh, Frank, do you 
this is a good thing to come out at Christmas. We can give it because we know it all started at Christmas, right? That's a great question, and the answer to that is no. It did not begin at Christmas. It did not begin at Bethlehem. That's one of the things that sets the book apart, I think, from many biographies of Jesus. His story begins before God said, let. It begins before time. It begins before creation. So we start the story where the Bible starts it, where John starts it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. One of the things in writing this book that that I found fascinating is that the Bible has an awful lot to say about what God was doing in Christ before the foundation of the world. And what we do in one of the chapters in the very opening is sketch out all of the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, as to what Jesus Christ was doing before he became incarnate, before he took the name Jesus, what he was doing in eternity past. Mm. And it is, it is shocking. It is stunning. It is beautiful. And that's where we begin the story. And um, we try to do something that is impossible to do in a book, and we try to write to the right brain at the same time as writing to the left brain. So you'll see that the book for readers reads kind of like a novel. It's very accessible. But the footnotes, which uh, take about 100 pages, <laughs> uh, the end notes in themselves, uh, that's all to the left brain and to the scholarly academics and the intellectuals and so forth. So we're really trying to speak to two audiences at once. But the main text really is written in a very easy uh, novelistic style. So Frank, telling his story. what were some of the things that he was doing before he came on the scene here? Well, one of the things that he did, and this is going to blow your circuitry, but he ended all things before he began all things. Huh? And that's a, I just quoted a scripture from Hebrews. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's not the Alpha first and then the Omega later. He is the Alpha and the Omega at the same moment. He is the beginning and the end at the same moment. Time is in him. So he wrapped it all up before he even said let. And uh, we kind of fleshed that out, but it's staggering to the Christian. You know, Paul says in Romans 8, you are justified. Steve knows this really well. You are justified. He foreknew you. You were sanctified, and you were, past tense, glorified. Mm-hmm. And here he's speaking to a group of Christians in Rome, Italy, who uh, haven't even died yet. And in God's eyesight, in God's mind, they were already glorified. And so what he did was he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, and he glorified us even there. This is a beautiful, beautiful message for the Christian, especially yeah. the insecure Christian. I agree. I, you know, it may be because I'm a cynical preacher, and, I'm, uh, and, and also I'm a Scrooge at Christmas. But one of the reasons we get so warm and fuzzy about a baby in the stable is that he's controllable. You know, a baby, mm. you kind of got power over. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that nice? Mm. And if if they would read your book and see that this ain't what it appears, <laughs> that, that this is a lot bigger than you imagine or can imagine, uh, mm. Christmas wouldn't be, I don't think, as warm and fuzzy, but it would be far more joyous. That's a good way to put it, Steve. But part of what we found in writing this book, and we should have actually known this ahead of time, but and maybe Frank did, I just didn't, but you can't really, if you really approach the Scripture as the living as the living word or what we call the living story, in other words, as one organism, I mean, as, as something that is alive, then the, the Scriptures are an organism. And 
And just like your body is an organism, you can't touch it one place without it vibrating or feel, being felt everywhere. So you can't tell one snippet of the story without telling the whole story. So that's the, I posted on my Facebook, um, you know, a, a Christmas wreath. Um, Tis the season, but then next to it, a crown of thorns that is in the same shape as a Christmas wreath. But that's the reason. Tis the reason. Yeah, um, it really is. You can't tell one part of the story without telling, in some way, the whole story. And so to tell the story of Bethlehem, you're also telling the story of Golgotha. Hey, guys, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have a lot more to say. This is so good. The book is Jesus, a Theography. Leonard Sweet, Frank Viola. And we're not finished yet. We're just getting started. And if you go anywhere, you're out of your mind. It is the Christmas season. And we're talking about Jesus. The reason we're talking about Jesus is because Jesus is the reason, well, well, you know. This is a significant book. It's not a little pamphlet-like thing. I mean, this is, this is something that explores a subject that, frankly, if they wrote volumes and volumes, they would never reach the center of it because Jesus is a big deal. I'm a believer, and for those of you who aren't, I understand why you get irritated at Christmas. Man, I'd be a serial killer if I didn't believe in Jesus. <laughs> and, I, you know, you can't get away from it, uh, and uh, you really can't. I mean, it is the reason, not just for the season. I'm tired of that, but it's the reason for everything. And if what's written in this book uh, about Jesus, not just Jesus in Bethlehem, but Jesus... Uh, who holds time and space in himself. If what's written in this book isn't true, man, you, you talk about dark. We don't, there's no meaning. There's, there's no reason. Camus was right. The only question is one of suicide. But because of this is true, and if you're a pagan, deal with it, okay? This is good news, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> and you will listen. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn, do you get, uh, do you sometimes, and I know you're in an academic setting, uh, sometimes you, it was said in the book or maybe in some of the PR, I'm not sure which, that, that a lot of scholars are so into theology, they don't give a rip about the historical Jesus. And sometimes I get the feeling that sometimes there's a disconnect between the cerebral, uh, realities that people give their lives to studying and understanding and what goes on in the heart and the reality that this isn't academic. This is real. It's a great way of putting it, Steve. I, I, what, what we try to do here is to reconnect people to, to Jesus himself. Um, you know, only Jesus is both the medium and the message. And, and, to connect them to him, and and the good news is we made the good news a set of principles and propositions and doctrines and points, and the good news is the story uh, about Jesus, who is the the story, the greatest story, as I say, the greatest story never told, or if it is told, it's half told, mm. or if it's told at all, it's not told as a story, it's told as a set of vignettes or principles and propositions. So what we try to do is to tell it as one story as one 
the Bible is one story, and it's all the story of Jesus. And some people are freaking out at that. They they just, you know, this is um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, they just don't like this. But the, the, the other thing that we, what we try to do, the reason why we try to do this, is that this culture, um, it communicates. The, the currency of the culture is story. In, in, a, in, the la, in the Gutenberg world, the world that print, you know, created and, and has really come to an end in your lifetime and mine, but that world, the cultural currency was words. We talked in words, we communicated in words, we thought in words which is more left brain, um, but this culture is more right brain, and this culture is all about story. In fact, a lot of commercials, Steve, I don't know if you've noticed this, but they're wordless. Mm. I mean, the, the commercial that won the Super Bowl two years ago, the VW commercial, was, is wordless. There's not a word in it. So this culture thinks it communicates. Advertisers don't spend billions of dollars a year to give you words. They spend billions of dollars a year to give you images and stories. So what we try to do here is to present the and tell the story um, in the language of the culture that we're in. And I, th- I think you can make a case um, that every renewal and awakening in history has come when Christians have returned to the Bible and rediscovered who Jesus is in the language of their culture. Mm. And so that's what we're trying to do here. There, there is a, a hope and a prayer here that this can, can add to what we see is what God's up to in the world, um, which is an incredible awakening of people to, to who Jesus is. But we're trying to push that forward with telling the story, helping people to rediscover who Jesus is, but telling it and rediscovering it in the language of our culture, which is narrative and metaphor. Frank, could you tell us a bit about that story. I mean, I guess give us the cliff notes. <laughs> it's a big book, and I don't think you have. I don't think yeah. you have time to go through all of it here. But uh, can you tease us? Yeah, can you give t- us a trailer? It, good. You get know? It, the four hundred pages. Get it down to a couple of sentences. Could you give me the movie? Give me the, <laughs> give me the movie trailer. To be frank, I think it's a sweet book. <laughs> to be frank, it's a sweet well, book. That's so there. bad. <laughs> Len uh, used the metaphor of the Bible being a living, organic thing. And if we stay with that metaphor, if you cut the Bible in any place, it will bleed Jesus Christ. Mm. Right now we have a big movement called the Red Letter Christian Movement. Perhaps you've interviewed some of the authors, the great guys who wrote the the book on that. We're uh, aligned with that very much so. But what we're saying in this book is that if you took every reference, every image, every foreshadowing of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, and you turned it red, then the Bible would glow in the dark, because he is on every page. It's not that his story and his person is told in a few prophetic passages predicting of the Messiah coming and dying and so forth. It's not like that at all. He's all over the Old Testament, from Genesis 1 and 2. In fact, we take two chapters. We had to take two chapters just to deal with Christ present in Genesis 1 and 2. And the whole story of his life and death is told there Mm. in those two chapters. It's amazing. But, you know, now we have Christians fighting and bludgering each other over the head as to whether it's creation or evolution, (laughs) you know, when they look at Genesis 1 and 2. And they miss the point. They miss the story 
And the New Testament authors tell us very plainly in, in different ways, in different shades, in different meanings, that it's all Christ. Jesus himself said, all scripture testifies of me. You know, he didn't say some, he said all of it. Oh, and so man. that's what we try to show the reader in the book. Jesus, a theography. And uh, this is uh, the kind of book you want to read at Christmas because it breaks the mold. Christmas is same old, same old. It's good old, good old, but it's same old, same <laughs> old. But sometimes you've got to think bigger than a baby. And, uh, and this book does it in a magnificent way. This is a big point uh, that we lay out in the beginning of the book, and we trace it all the way through. We live in a time where there's all different types of methods of interpretation among Christians. That's why we have 33,000-plus denominations on the planet. We're all using a different method of interpretation, or for the scholars, a hermeneutic. But uh, what we do in the book is we go back to uh, the point that the New Testament authors over and over again use the same Old Testament scriptures, the same ones now, to speak of Christ and to expound Christ and who he is. And they all did this independently of one another. And they all used the same passages, and they interpreted them the same way. So it appears that there was some common source that was operating that taught them how to interpret the Old Testament the way they did. Well, when we come to Jesus in his resurrected state, he meets with his disciples, and the Scripture says in Luke, at the end of Luke, he opened the Scriptures up to them, revealing himself, revealing Christ through the Psalms, through the prophets, and through Moses. Mm. That's the three parts of the Old Testament. So what Jesus did is he handed them, his disciples, a way of interpreting the Old Testament. And it all was a mirror pointing to him. It was a roadmap pointing to him. And uh, what we say in the book is that all of the New Testament is written this way, and we can take that same method of interpretation that was given to us by Jesus himself and see Christ everywhere in the Old Testament. And that's the key that unlocks the Bible. Mm, good stuff. Hey, I, I've got a question. I, this has driven me crazy probably my whole life, uh, and maybe if I read the book I, I'll find the answer to this. But what what was going on with Jesus from the time he was 12 to the time he was 30? I mean, I'm a youth pastor. It would have been very helpful had they included what Jesus was like as a teenager. So I, I didn't, I mean, is there any way to kind of know what those years were like? And, and did you did you discover anything in, in writing the book? This is where uh, the book almost went a cropper. Um, because Frank and I, we have very differing interpretations of those missing years. Oh, and, and what happened is I actually wrote I wrote a first draft of this, uh, of that chapter, to see if Frank would um, talk, present it kind of the thesis. And what, what I've done is I do what's called semiotics, um, which is basically connecting dots. You're just looking at this, you're looking at this, you're looking at this, and then you, you connect dots and look at a picture. And, and you, you remember those magic eye books? Were, were yeah. uh, they're called stereograms? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. I do. Where you look at nobody else does, random but I computer-aided, generated uh, <laughs> images, and then if you look at it in a certain way, a three-dimensional image pops out. Yeah. It has been there all along. You just missed it. And so that's kind of what happened for me when I was asking the same question about the missing years, and and um, Frank said, no, no, that, you know, that's not what happened at all. So then, then we decided to, <laughs> to each kind of go into a, a different voice then, and I would 
present my little thesis about the missing. And we know, nobody knows. You know what I mean? I mean, whatever you say is in some ways uh, equally valid because nobody actually knows. We don't have the Bible telling us Jesus did this for those years. Don't go away. I just have a comment about the jerk that's on the radio. He's not Christian. I don't see anything of anything of contributory factor of this gentleman, Steve Brown. We'll be right back with more from Steve. I find nothing. I repeat nothing godly about this Steve Brown person. Steve Brown, etc. I don't know why he's on the radio. There's nothing uh, uplifting about him. There's no scripture. There's, there's nothing. There's no, no redeeming qualities. He's got nothing to contribute. I wouldn't listen. If I had kids, I wouldn't have anybody listen to him. You need a stable meta narrative. He should he not belong on Christian radio, okay? Um, anyway, yeah. That's it. Hey, the name of the program is Steve Brown, etc. And the book is Jesus, a Theography, and it's written by Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola. And just before the break, Zach had uh, asked about what did Jesus do in the, uh, in the years when we don't have any report. And he didn't realize it, but he stuck his finger into a hornet's nest. <laughs> Actually, there ha- blood has been shed over this. And, and, Lynn, we heard what you said. We didn't understand a word of it. We took a vote. <laughs> so, so first state your view, and then, Frank, I want you to state your view just so we know what we're talking about here, okay? Well, the bottom line is Frank and I had very different ideas of what happened uh, during those missing years. We were going to put the two ideas out there, and then we decided that it would create so much uh, conversation about that itself. Uh, that, that would take away from the focus on Christ. So basically, um, I deferred to Frank, and um, what you have there is uh, is Frank's interpretation and um, of what happened during those missing years. He's not going to tell you, Steve. Which, which he does not support, is what it sounds like to me. So, Frank... It, it, what you're saying is it's hard to fight and talk about Jesus at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I let Frank win that one. I, I'm going to win the next one. But, Frank, what uh, did you win? <laughs> yeah, Frank, what, what was Jesus doing? Uh, well, this is the perfect place for a bloodletting. Albert Schweitzer said that any time someone looks at the historical Jesus, they unwittingly project themselves into whatever they're looking at. And so they see themselves in Jesus. What Leonard believes, in in effect, and I'm not going to do justice to this at all, but that Jesus was basically someone who, as as a young person, went to Jerusalem to be trained by the religious leaders. He was their golden boy, as it were. They were impressed with him. And then he broke rank with them, and they became enemies, and they became very jealous. And so Len has a whole theory, very developed, very thoughtful, as to uh, you know how the New Testament points that way. Also, Leonard sees Jesus as being a very handsome person. I, on the other hand, see Jesus as never being seminary trained, quote-unquote, never going through the proper channels, but someone who was, in effect, a, a blue-collar worker, a working-class hero, you know, worked with his hands, and he learned his teachings straight from his father. And so consequently, when he would teach, it would just blow the circuitry of the people who were listening to it, saying, well, this man has, has never learned letters, this man has not gone to school, how does he know these things? And so in effect, you know, I'm someone who's never had an academic 
religious academic theological training. So it could be said that maybe Schweitzer is right with me. And of course, Leonard being the handsome academic who is very successful in his circles, but uh, who other academics may not particularly agree with. Let's just put it this way. I was correct. Leonard was wrong. And <laughs> that's, that's the end of it. Yeah. Frank, I think you have to be right because I remember a scene in the in the Jesus movie, the Mel Gibson Jesus movie during the teenage years when when Jesus was making something outside that his father had showed him how to make and there was a great little bantering scene between he and Mary and I'm sure that Mel Gibson for sure must have known for sure what transpired during that yeah that's what I was thinking. If I had time, I would straighten this out, but I just I just wanted to know if I he had pimples and hormones. Schweitzer, yeah, he did. Okay. And Schweitzer, just so you know, young man, <laughs> played the organ well, but he was a twit. And I just oh want to know that, too. Hey, guys, <laughs> what's the message? I mean, yes, we talk about you. all of this, and this book is magnificent. You'll worship. That'll be cool. You'll think thoughts you never thought. That'll be cool. But what is this all about? Frank. Well, I'll give you one scene of the story, and we find it in Genesis 2. God puts his first man into a deep sleep. And Adam is sleeping there, and God reaches into his side, opens his side, and pulls out a woman. And that woman, who had been in Adam all along, as it were, now sees her, falls in love with her, and the two become one. Now, when Paul rehearses this story, he says that I have just told you a mystery. But it's not about Adam and Eve. It is about Christ and the church. And in John, which is the new Genesis, it begins just like Genesis 1 does in the beginning. You go to the end of John, and we see Jesus, the last Adam, the second man, going into the deepest sleep of all that is death, and his side is pierced, and out of it comes blood and water. And all throughout the New Testament, the water is for the cleansing of the Word, it speaks to that in the blood, of course, for redemption and forgiveness. And on the third day, he rises again from the dead, and he becomes a life-giving spirit, and he imparts his own life into his disciples. They become the body of Christ. They become the bride of Christ. But that bride, that woman, was always in Christ from the foundation of the world, chosen in Christ by God. Mm. Jesus Christ had a girl inside of him when he was on the earth. She came out of him. The two became one, and this was all foretold in Genesis 2. And we do this with virtually every verse in Genesis 1 and 2. It all points to Christ and tells this beautiful story of him and the passion of his heart, which is his bride, that which he created for, mm. which is us who have believed upon him. So, Lynn, it's about love, right? Yeah, but love is a person, and it's personal. And I think that's one of the things that we forget. There's a website called Santa is Real. I don't know if you've seen this. It's santaisreal.com. And the whole point of this is like an advent calendar you click on every day. You get a story about how you can discover your inner Santa. (laughs) And I was looking at that, and I was going, you know, that's kind of what Frank and I did, except not for discover your inner Santa, discover... Jesus, the one All right. in you. Guys, and write more. We got to go, but you write more books, and we'll have you on. We love talking to you guys. All right. We you, love talking to you, too. You take us places we haven't been before, thinking thoughts we never thought before, and it's all about Jesus. The book, Jesus, a theography. 
you got to get this. It's great.